Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 138 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 6th, 2010, our first October podcast of the year. Halloween's coming up and of course there's a lot of USC games coming up, some really big games and we're going to talk about the game that happened at the Coliseum over the weekend. Very disappointing loss for the Trojans to the University of Washington. Former USC co-offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian, we have a lot of questions and we'll get to all of that this week on the podcast if you do have questions for us always drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com like i said we got a lot of those this week as you can imagine or you can give us a call we got a bunch of voicemail questions this week as well call us at 206-888-6755 is the number just call there leave a voicemail and we'll try to play it on the podcast you can hear your voice and coach or myself or whoever's on the podcast will answer the questions for you coach Speaking of, Coach Harvey Hyde, he joins us every week in this first segment, and it's going to be a busy one for a coach this week. A lot of questions for you. How you doing, Coach? What's going on? Ryan, I'm doing okay. I've uh, recovered uh, somewhat, and uh, I know we have a lot of questions, so I'm going to try to keep my answers. It's not that I'm going to ignore <laughs> the question that people call in, but you know me, I usually go on and on and on and on and try to answer the whole thing completely. But we like to get to everyone if we can. So I'm going to try to keep my questions a little bit shorter. So it's not your question. It's just that we're going to try to get to everybody. All right. That sounds good. And I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Check out that website or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, you're going up for the weekend or this weekend, you get tickets for that or some of the upcoming home games. USC has a lot of home games left. That's good news for USC fans. So check them out. And uh, coach, maybe before we just get to the questions, a couple quick thoughts on the game, man. It was—I know it's hard, but man, it was a—it was a crazy one. Well, it was a crazy one. I was sitting next to the paramedics the entire game, so in case something happened to me <laughs> during my excitement during the game, they would be right there to take care of me. It was one of those games. It wasn't a pretty game. It basically came down to the team with the ball with the last series uh, was going to win the football game. Uh, Washington's defense, USC, could move up and down the field on runs. Uh, SC's defense was one that had a lot of holes in it, and uh, obviously the best play on defense uh, that SC needed was 4th and 11, and it didn't come through. Otherwise, the game's over with, and SC has a great win. Also, the two missed passes by Barkley down there when it was 3rd and 4 and 1, and another one he missed to Cameron was was something that – we can always replay that, but again, if he would have hit those passes, we would never second-guess it, so I can't second-guess those calls. But uh, a lot of uh, uh, unanswered uh, points uh, as far as the defense is concerned, receivers dropping passes that would have given tremendous gains, uh, receivers wide open, really lack of contain on lockers, something that people, you know, realize going into the game, and zero, what I call zero, really impact from the linebackers. So it's not something that I'm the only one saying this. It's just something that has to be addressed, and you have to look at it, and you have to say, wait a minute, what's going on? Is it the kids not understanding? Is it lack of athletic ability? What is it? So, uh We'll have to see what happens and how they address these questions. To me, it looks as though really you have a lot of confusion in the secondary. You don't have the quickness you anticipated in the defensive end play, and the linebackers seem like they're just not in the ball game. So that's where I look at it, and we'll get into more detail after we or when we get to the questions. Yeah, and there's, I mean, I think you give a pretty good summary of what a lot of the questions are going to be, and obviously a lot of them focus on the defense. So let's go to a voicemail question first. This one is coming from Rich, and as you can guess, it's about the defense. Yes, this is Rich. I'm sure this is not the uh, first time this has been asked, nor will it be the last, but uh, I was at the game yesterday, the SC Washington game, and 
I don't see any difference between uh, last year's defense as opposed to this year's defense. Uh, the line, they look like they're getting blown out. The linebackers are constantly out of step, out of position. In the secondary, I realize they're young, but uh, they're getting beaten when there's 300 yards of passing by Washington. It's a lot. I'm just wondering what you guys think of uh, Monty Kiffin as a defensive coordinator, um, and if we're any better off maybe having him on the field instead of up in the booth. My other comment, uh, which I heard last night, which I don't like, is Lane Kiffin saying, well, our uh, defense was gas. That's uh, not the thing that Trojan fans want to hear, and I'm wondering if you guys have any comments on that. I know we don't have uh, a lot of defensive scholarships and stuff, but uh, the game last night just uh, was abysmal, and uh, the, the defense just looked like it did last year. Appreciate your time. Enjoy your show. Thanks very much. Take well, Rich, I'm going to try to answer that. Uh, I don't know if I can do that quickly, but I'm going to try. <laughs> First of all, Rich, I agree with you. We're not getting good tackling. Uh, the tackling is very poor. The linebackers are not in the right position. In fact, uh, zero tips that I can think of. I can't, Im- I, can't, I can't remember a game where really they've been involved much in the passing game whatsoever as far as their drops and so on. Uh, the defensive line, uh, I agree, they're not getting much push. You would think they'd be playing on the opponent's side of the line of scrimmage with all the great athletes that uh, SC has at least they're all been rated at four or five star players and so on and they're not really dominating the line of scrimmage uh as far as uh conditioning is concerned uh you know I'll, i look at it and I, and I can't look at that as an excuse uh, my players have got to be in shape to play at any type of pace uh i know there isn't a lot of players to rotate but the players have got to get in shape to play at the pace of what your opponent is playing at i know that they run a hurry up offense and so on, but that's something you just have to get used to, and you have to compete at that level. Uh, whether it's more running or out of shape or rotation of players or whatever, you've got to be able to have players on the field. And I'm not talking about rotating players during series. I'm talking about after the series is over. And uh, so there, there isn't really excuses for fatigue. They're either better than you or you're better than them. You're either using your techniques that you've been taught, good old football ten, ten, uh, techniques that you've been taught as a young kid, how to, how to get in a stance, how to, how to power rush, how to slip technique, how to do all the things you're supposed to do to use your abilities to get to the quarterback or to the running back and how to tackle. To me, it just seems as though the linebacker position is, is not existing currently in the USC defense, in the secondary, a very young secondary, I think is talented, yet they are very confused. They, they seem to bite on fakes, and they're not making great plays. People are wide open. Would they have five drops, six drops, and five or six plays where receivers weren't even covered? So it's a very difficult thing to address, and uh, I'm not there in the meeting, so I really, really don't know what's going on. I haven't seen the tape, but... I tell you, a lot of things have to happen. Maybe some change in the personnel has to be rotated around with the defense. All right. Well, thank you for that one uh, from Rich. And we have one from Michael here. He wanted to leave a voicemail, but he said he was so angry that he thought he would start screaming. So we're going to get that. We'll read his email for him. He had a two-part question. Um, he wants to know, for one game, can we just try and man up and play an attacking defense? It seems our players are thinking instead of reacting and coach that's something i've heard from a lot of people on the sidelines as well and then what could be changed in one week to prepare for stanford obviously stanford's got a very powerful offense there what do you, what do you think about that coach well uh i agree with him i i think the players are not playing at a uh instinct that allows their athletic ability to take over i watch uh Kennard in the middle and i think Kennard is thinking about what he's supposed to do rather than do it i think if i was uh USC, and I'm not speaking for them, I'm just saying me. Looking at the situation, I've moved Kennard back to defensive end. You've got to get some outside rush and use some quickness there, and I think he doesn't have to think as much there. He can play football and use his ability. I put Gallipo back in the middle where he should be. Here's a starter that played all year and knows the defense and can maybe huddle up that defense. I see lack of leadership there right now as far as the signals being called and, and, and a linebacker headbutting somebody and saying, hey, let's get going over there or do something that gives a little emotion. Remember, you've got to play crazy on defense. If you don't play crazy on defense, you really don't get it done. You look for attitudes on defense that 
are a little bit uh, a little bit on the edge, and I don't see anybody really on the edge. The only guy I really see on the edge are two guys, and they're in the second secondary, and that's right. And McDonald, they they play on the edge. They they sometimes are a little bit too aggressive and so on, uh, but they they fly to the football. So uh, I, I would I would think that against Stanford, I wouldn't get cute. Uh, I tell you, I would I would try to you know get them stopped before they get started because what happens with Stanford once they hit that off tackle hole and that's what they want to do. Once they hit it, they're in the secondary, and, and you know SC's had trouble stopping that. I would make that a priority to stop the off-tackle hole, which they're obviously going to attempt to do. There used to be an old defense called the Eagle defense where you put three on two off-tackle and, and and try to outman them there, but they got that big old fullback that'll come storming through there and pick up whatever's there in the hole. So uh, I would stop the, try to stop the off-tackle hole. I would try to make them pass the football. You've got to stop them on first down. You can't put them in a second and six situation. You just can't do that because now it's play action pass or luck runs draw, drops back and passes. You've got to have a big play on first down. And, you know, maybe maybe the uh, the two deep halves uh, zone defense doesn't give you the off-tackle support you need. So maybe you need to go to something else there and maybe play man or play something where you can fill off tackle. Uh, to stop the off-tackle hold because Stanford wants to run the ball and pass off the run. They remind me of Woody Hayes, Bo Schenbecker's teams where they double down, kick out, run the offside guard through and leave with the fullback. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're the hammer football, and people haven't seen that type of football. They see finesse football where everybody's reaching out and they're they're running a, a more zone type of blocking. These guys don't believe in that. They are the hammers. They come out and they want to knock you off the line of scrimmage. And, and I'll tell you what, you better get in the gaps or you better get up the field or, or you're going to find yourself on roller skates. So uh, that's what I would do, and, and I can't tell you that any longer than this because we don't have very long with all these questions. I probably <laughs> went too long already, but I hope that answers or helps, Michael, answer your questions. No, that's great. Stay Cut. mad, Michael. Stay mad. It's attitude. <laughs> we got Michael. Suit Michael up there. Um, all right, yep. well, Coach G, he's he's always sends in some really interesting questions. Um he was a coach for 42 years. He said he's been a diehard USC fan since 1960. He had a couple of things. The first point, he wanted to know, um, he wants someone, coach, I think he wants you to reach out to the defensive coaches and plead with them to be aggressive on third and long because he feels that's been hurting this team for years. In college ball, you can't sit back in the zone, allow teams to pick you apart, particularly when they study film and see your zone tendencies. So he really wants someone to get out there and tell the coaches, hey, get more aggressive on third down. And we saw USC give up some big plays on third and fourth down. Yes, they did. You know, and the philosophy of uh, USC's defense is to bend but not break. But, you know, it's been happening. They've been bending and breaking. So it really hasn't followed through with what the philosophy is. Pete Carroll basically used the same philosophy that uh, Monty Kiffin uses. But right now what's happening it's bending and breaking at the same time. So, yes, uh, you've got to make some changes, and, and I think mixing it up and being aggressive on defense is, is sometimes more effective than sitting back and waiting, especially when you can't control the line of, the line of scrimmage. You really have to gamble at times. You really do. Uh, I, used to, I used to tell my defensive coordinator in a certain situation, hey, go after him. Just go after We can't stop him. Just line up and, and go after them. We have to go after them. We have to throw them for a loss. We've got to do something to stop their momentum, cause a fumble, knock the quarterback out of the game. I'm not talking about hurting anybody, but you've got to make a statement. And right now SC hasn't made a statement on defense like, hey, we're afraid to go against USC's defense. You know, when they do blitz, uh, you notice they've had trouble controlling their their blitzes. What I mean by that, they go after a guy, they run right by the quarterback, the quarterback dips down or or they don't come in and control where they say, hey, he's the guy that should be panicking, not me, and settle up and just grab him and throw him to the ground. They've uh, come after him at times but missed him. He's ducked him and avoided them. And then when you blitz and you don't get him, then there's a lot of seams and holes in your secondary. And also a quarterback like Locker can just run right up the middle or run around and make a lot of yards. So there's a, a lot to blitzing, and, and, and I think that it, it, there's times to use it and there's times not to use it, but you've got to end up playing a lot of man, and I think you can play man with the athletes that USC has. You've got to lock up and you've got to say, okay, 
we're coming after you. You better be ready for it. And, of course, teams try to avoid that by blocking solid or hitting the squick trap or something. But you got to gamble. And there's times you gamble and there's times you win and there's times you lose. But you got to give people uh, that question in their mind, are they coming or aren't they? Well, it seems to me, Coach, like it seems like the defense is trying to play it safe a little bit, but you're it I mean they're they're giving up such big plays when they're trying to play it safe. It's like you're almost better off being more aggressive, like Coach G is saying. It's like are you really losing anything by if we blitz everybody, they throw a bomb over the top and, and get a touchdown on it. Like is that the reason you don't want to blitz or whatever? But you're playing back and playing safe and you're still throwing a bomb over the top. So it's like you might as well try to go out there and make a play. And I, I think one of the points that came up at practice yesterday was, I think it was Michael Lev, and I talked about this on our instant analysis last night. He was asking Monty Kiffin and, and Lane Kiffin about the lack of production from the linebackers. He went through the stats, and I wish I had them in front of me, but it was like all the linebackers for the whole season, there was like one tipped pass, no forced fumbles, no sack. I mean, there was ones or zeros in front of these major defensive categories for the entire starting linebackers. And I think that was something that was really concerned. I mean, I, I agree with Coach G. Let these guys loose. At least they'll make some plays sometimes. And, yeah, you might give up some, but you're giving up some anyway. Well, you know, you, you have to make plays out of your linebackers. And if they aren't making it, playing a base defense and so on, then you got to assist them and somehow in getting into the game and causing some problems. And, and uh, I say it uh, on Sunday mornings with our Trojan Bunch show and so on. It, it's, this is just my opinion on everything I'm seeing out there. Right now you're not playing at an aggressive beat or an upbeat where people are intimidated by you. You have to intimidate teams by being aggressive or doing something that they're afraid of. And right now they're not afraid of any of the things that USC is doing defensively. And I think you have to give them some type of fear that they can't do certain things or they just can't do anything they want. And right now it seems to be they're just doing anything they want. All right. Well, let's go to, let's see. I think John had an interesting question. He's been listening to the podcast for a couple years and he's read, we've read some of his mail and he really appreciates that. So I'm glad you like that, John. Um, he doesn't want to be a fatalist, but he's seen some erosion in the program and it just seems like there's something missing right now. And I think I agree with you, John. It looks like there is some problems there. Um, it doesn't look like they have the same kind of excitement or enthusiasm uh, of what the team was playing with now. Do you agree with that coach? Well, I don't, you know, it's pretty hard to get excited when good things don't happen. But you do have to play with a lot of pride and a sense of feeling. And I, and I think that right now the team has been more hesitant this entire year. I watch it everywhere. They've, they've gone through so many changes, not just during the game, but a whole new coaching staff, No co nobody at practice, nobody on the team playing, Nobody on the sideline, and uh, a different temperament, uh, a change of a hyper coach and Coach Pete Char to, uh, Carroll to a more contained and, 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 and studious type of appearance with Coach Lane Kiffin, which is not bad, which is good. But I haven't seen the enforcer that I've seen in the past on the sidelines or at practice. And what I mean by that, there's got to be somebody that gets in your face. There's got to be somebody that brings it out of you. And you need to have someone that that when you come off the sideline and you didn't do anything very good or you didn't do anything, that you really don't want to go on the off. You'd rather go off on the opponent's sideline. And, and, I, and I don't see that on the sideline. Now, I'm not saying they're not talking to the kids or, or so on, but I think there's got to be a relationship there where the kids uh, uh, know they are expected to play at a certain level. And uh, right now, I don't see them playing at their expected level, which we expect, is what coaches expect, what the parents expect. And when you look at supposed all of these four- and five-star athletes uh, not performing at what their predicted uh, potential is, you say, what's missing? I don't see fireballs. I don't see uh, linebackers uh, beating on somebody, uh, their own teammates. I'm not talking about opponents or talking across the line of scrimmage or talking trash. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about leadership on the sideline. I watch the sidelines closely. Uh, I watch the, uh, the tuttles. I watch all of that to see if who's in charge or who is in that huddle that, you know, the players have to answer to. 
and I, and I don't see that. So to me, I look at, and I hate to say this, a fatigued team, both mentally and physically drained, maybe from the off season, maybe from the changes, maybe through all the sanctions and paper and negativity that's circling around the USC's program right now. And they, that brings a big question mark to them. When things aren't going really well, it's hard for them to rally against it because they just don't have that in them right now. So I don't know what it is, but I know it's something there that needs to be what you call chemistry. You need to get the chemistry going. You need the enforcers to get going. You need to put a little caffeine in the coffee. Maybe they're (laughs) drinking decaf coffee. I don't know. But you need to get them fired up a little bit more and into the game a little bit more and more focused and play a little bit more with reckless abandon. All right, we'll see if they do that this weekend, Coach. Uh, here's a question on the defensive coordinator for USC. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, my name is Rick. I'm calling from uh, Long Beach, California. I've uh, been listening to your show for about six months. It's a great show. Uh, my question has to do with the defense based on what I saw at the last game, the Washington State game. Is... Um, Lane Kiffin open to possibly trying, uh, if he, if need be, if needed, another coach, defensive coordinator, um, maybe with uh, uh, that's open to dealing with the different types of schemes that we'll see in the Pac-10 and around the country, uh, be down on the field and in the face uh, with these defensive players, keeping them fired up. Uh, do you see that as a problem, coaching? Or do you see uh, a problem with uh, talent, maybe that our talent is overrated? Be interested in hearing uh, your thoughts on that. And thank you very much. Good show. Thank you, Rick. Thank you very much for calling in. Uh, You know, he has some good points here, and I haven't addressed the first of all, I want you to know Monty Kiffin's a great defensive coordinator. So when I talk about some of these things about the defense, in no way does it affect him. I mean, I couldn't hold his whatever, pencil, with experience and what he's done in, 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 in coaching. But I'll tell you what I do see, and since you brought this question up, I will address it. Uh, during practice, if you go to USC's practice, you see one guy in charge of the defense, completely in charge of the defense. That's Monty Kiffin. I mean, he's uh, in control of the coaches. Uh, as far as team defense, he's in charge of the sidelines. I mean, he wants uh, nickelbacks and then linebackers and people within reaching distance, he's in complete control. And currently now I would not say this, say this or I would say this always, almost all the time. Offensive coordinators, I feel, should be in the press box. Defensive coordinators, I feel, should be more or less on the sideline because they're more emotional people. And Monty Kiffin's a very emotional person. Don't think he can't rip your butt because I've seen him do it to coaches and I've seen him do it to players. And when you lose him in the press box – you may be losing that person that's with you all week, running all the meetings, running all the practices, and all of a sudden on game day, he's not there. And all of a sudden you feel lost because your leader or your captain or your, the person that you've been looking to all week who corrects you is gone. So it might not be a bad idea. He looks like to me when I'm watching him, and he's always worked, I think, in the press box, but he looks as though he is... His hands are tied, and, and uh, he doesn't really need assistance up there. He knows what's going on. He gets to feel, I think his team needs him more, which is the defensive side of the football on the sideline right now. I think they would be relieved to see him down there, to come to him and gather up as a huddle on the defensive benches when, when they come off the field, and to see their leader and the person they believe in uh, with them. So I think that's a heck of a a suggestion. I've thought of it, but I haven't brought it up because I don't want to suggest certain things. But uh, I agree with you 100%, and uh, I think that would be a nice move, a change for them. Yeah, interesting. I mean, obviously, it's it's hard because if you talked – I mean, I, I went on the radio and talked here before the beginning of the season. One of the strengths of this team was the defensive coaching staff. I mean, I really liked Willie Mac Garza, I still do. I mean, uh, you know, having uh, Joe Barry come in and and Ed Orgeron, who's really the the defensive coordinator, but obviously, you know, Monty Kiffin's really the guy calling the plays. But former 
head coach. I mean, he's a fiery guy. There's so many talented defensive coaches there that it's not just the fans, but I think members of the media too, we're scratching our heads and we're like, what, what's going on here? I mean, Monty Kiffin had a pretty big scrum around him yesterday after practice. And, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of answers. I mean, he obviously he's not really happy with what's going on and, and all the media have a lot of respect for, for Monty Kiffin. Obviously he's forgot more about defensive football than most of us would ever know. And, He's not really sure what's going on. So it was a weird kind of feeling yesterday, Coach, at practice because obviously there's something majorly wrong with this defense, but you have this defensive guru there that's been doing it forever. It's hard to put the two together. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. I understand completely, and I know the frustration that everyone has with this, including the coaches. Remember, nobody cares more than the team. We can all talk about it and so on, but – Coaches have a desire to be successful. There's no question about it. Their jobs are on the line and so on. So really, they know what the problems are. Do they always have the answers? Well, they try to find out what the answers should be. But, uh, you know, we talk at it about it at a different, you know, uh, uh, feeling. I mean, we don't know the personalities of the players. We don't know the strength or the minuses of the players. If we're not in meetings with them, we don't know what they can't grasp or what they do know or can they make calls or can they not make calls and so on. But we're not that close to the program. All we can talk about is what we see. And I don't visit with the coaches when I see them about this stuff. Because when I was a coach, I didn't want people to address me about this stuff. But they're all trying to make it happen. It's just that uh, sometimes you have a group of people and that aren't performing or maybe are overrated. I hate to say that at times, but uh, maybe they've been hyped up better than what they should be uh, hyped up about. And uh, so, uh, you know, the thing that's difficult about this is because we wouldn't be as concerned, everyone, I'm talking about myself and others, unless you knew what was in front of you. Now, if you had teams that you weren't scared of and you can make a change and so on, you'd be saying, we're going to make this change, we're going to address it, everything's going to be cool. But when you've got Stanford, who kind of is going to bring a sledgehammer with them, then you've got these other teams, Cal that's got great team speed and, and, and so on, who is a toss-up football game. Then you've got Oregon, who you know, is averaging 50 points a game or whatever. Then you've got Oregon State, who can beat anybody, and you've got to play them there. You've got Arizona State, who has improved. You've got Arizona, who's undefeated. I mean, you've got UCLA now that's improving their schedule and can run the ball right at you. Uh, all of a sudden, you say, hey, you know, this isn't a one-game situation. This could be a season situation. We might be ending up in what you call who has the ball last situation. <laughs> and, and, and I've been talking about this, and, and Ryan, you heard me talk about it all along. You don't win championships without a great field goal kicker. You've heard me tell you this from the beginning. I've said it the entire year. If you go through the Pac-10, Stanford field goal kicker is 9 for 9. Washington's field goal kicker hasn't missed one. UCLA's got the Little Groza win, uh, winner last year in Forbet. I mean, you go through the whole league, and you've got great field goal kickers. So, you know, when they get in the red zone across the 50 at UCLA, they kick a field goal. Well, SC is, doesn't have that right now. When you have to have a tryout during the season, then you don't have a kicker. So it's very disheartening and very difficult in your play calling to know that you don't have an automatic three points. So you now have to start calling your plays that when you reach a certain area of the field, you're saying we're going four downs. We're going four downs. We have to average three yards down. We get a first down because we can't count on that at automatic three points. So there's a lot of pressure on the play caller knowing this because you don't have that automatic three points. I think there's pressure too, but just knowing that the defense hasn't played all that well. And uh, I think you saw that in the Washington game. I mean, it, the, the thought in my mind when USC gets the ball back with up by two points was the only way to win this game is to score a touchdown. You up by nine, Washington can't score nine points in one drive and you're going to win. And I, I, in my, before they even you know snapped the first ball of that series, I was like, you have to score a touchdown. Like a field goal is not going to be good enough. You almost got the feeling like it was the Texas game, you know, from the Rose Bowl a few years back, where you can't give Vince Young the ball back because you know he's going to score. You couldn't have give Jake Locker the 
the ball back because you know you're going to score. So I think you're right. It does put a lot of pressure on the offense because they're going to have to outscore people now. That's what it, that's what it's coming down to until there's a correction. Yeah. So you go to Stanford and you and you say what's going to happen at Stanford? Well, we don't know. I know one thing. You better stop the off tackle play, and you better not give them second and six. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That's the most uh, difficult down for you to stop on defense. All right, coach. Well, I know you. I think you got your two day workouts going on now, it's, and it's raining out here in Southern California. Is it raining up there for you? And uh, oh Pesky? yeah, it's it's raining. It's raining. I just came in, and I asked you before we got started. I give me a minute. I got to change my. My shirt, because I was all wet, just because it's raining. It's still game day every day for me as far as working out. And, you know, i got to get ready to go. If I don't get my workout in, I just can't make it. So uh, mentally, that is. But uh, it bothers me when I don't work out. But, uh, you know, uh, I want everyone to know it's very difficult to be critical. Yeah, because I've been a coach. And I know how it is. You know, coaches always say, and I've spoken to a lot of coaches this week who are having difficult situations. And a lot of them say, I never listen to the radio. I never read the newspaper. I, I, I don't do any of that because it influences me. But I want you all to know, coaches do. Players do. And the media sways people's opinions. Players do. Players read about themselves and they read about how they haven't done this and they haven't done that and this and that. And it really starts to get to them. And I really sometimes wonder if it's true. So when we can say positive things, I don't know how many players listen to this podcast. I just want to say this. Players, if you're listening, believe me, the best way to change things is to get out there and play your butt off. Get out there and hit somebody and do your best. I know you've heard that since you've been a kid. But the best thing to be able to do is when you come off a field, no matter what the result of the game is, is look to yourself in the mirror and say, I did my very best. And if that's all you can do, then, and that's what you've done, then no one can ask anymore. So uh, that's all I wanted to say, because I know we have parents or players that listen to this, and it's difficult to hear people talk about the team and your, your children and so on, and it's not easy. But I want you to know, coaches love the kids. The things I miss the most from coaching is the kids themselves. I love them. I have them call me and I tell them how much I love them. And I'm not afraid to use that word. I think it's a great word. Because when kids sell out for you and have been through the things that you've seen them go through with you, you know, and been in that foxhole with you and know what it feels like when you're in and there's no support coming and it's and you got one gun left, you know, it's a, it's a scary feeling. But uh, the thing you learn from football is to compete. The thing you learn with football is teammanship and playing with friends. And you really got to just continue and make it the best. And uh, so I just want everyone to know that I have a passion for the game. I have a passion for the parents and uh, and the players. So when we talk about some of these things, it's basically just opinions and, and things that we say that uh, really isn't personal. That's what I want to say. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate it, and thank you for your time and uh, candor on all the, the answers for the questions. We didn't get to all of them, but we're going to talk to uh, Dan Weber in the next segment. We'll try to get to the rest of them. We'll to as many as we possibly can. I know there's a lot this week, but, Coach, thanks for all your time and insights. Thank you very much, guys. All right. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber, more of your USC football questions. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concerts, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined, as promised, by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Dan was at the in the press box for the uh, debacle against Washington. He was at practice yesterday and listen to the Kiffin conference call, so we'll get a lot of good insights from Dan. How are you doing today, Dan? Uh, pretty good. Not too bad. We'll see. We'll, uh, 
We'll see after this week. Uh, at least they've got a shot this week. To uh, that is Lane was right, and uh, that's what I've always thought. I mean, being a football coach, you do get a chance the next week to make things, uh, you know, better, and you get a chance to, you know, almost make it go away. And probably if they uh, if they'd actually be able to put it together this week and uh, and uh, you know win at Stanford, uh, which I'm not thinking many people think they've got a chance to do. Uh, if you do that, you're not in a terribly worse place than had you, you know, beaten Washington and not beaten Stanford. So uh, uh, that's the that's the one good thing about football. Yeah, you can bounce back pretty quickly. Well, we do have a lot of questions, and I wanted to let people know if you have questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can give us a call, 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail. Uh, like Chris did here. We're going to listen to Chris's voice. I had a question about the depth on this USC team. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Coach. It's Chris calling from Fontana in the Inland Empire, a big SC football fan and an alum as well, and um, had to wait a few days to call you guys. Uh, otherwise, you uh, after that Washington game, you guys wouldn't have been able to air my comments. Uh, <laughs> don't recall being so emotional after a, an SC loss, I tell you. But anyway, my question, Coach, is uh, regarding the defense. And... Um, you know, I actually sat down and kind of looked at our depth chart, and there is indeed a lot of inexperience there. Um, so yeah, I chalk some of it up to that. But how much do you relate kind of what's going on defensively? I know they've kind of been getting a little bit better here lately, but um, with the mobile quarterbacks, we continue to struggle. How much do you think is related to inexperience, and how much do you relate to perhaps uh, Monty Kiffin's uh, defensive schemes? And and could could they be a little too you know complex for the inexperience that we have defensively? Just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Appreciate it. Love the podcast, guys. Thanks. So, what do you think, Dan? Well, uh, I do think uh, the fact that they're not, they don't seem to be uh, mastering uh, the defense, and the fact that a couple of weeks ago we were talking about. Uh, the difficulties of the defense, and one of the things that that they were talking about um, was the challenge of disguising the defenses and making them all look like the same. And I'm not sure that that probably needs to be the number one challenge right now uh, is just to be able to disguise the defenses when you're when you're working on things like tackling in space and uh, and just uh, you know. Uh, you know, you've got a defense that's designed, for example, not to get beat deep over the middle, and you do get beat deep over the middle uh, for a touchdown that you know turns out to be the difference in the game. And uh, uh, you probably need to, I, you know, I would say Lane yesterday admitted that he probably uh, underestimated the difficulties of uh, the lack of experience with this defense and. Uh, um, my feeling probably is that it's been hard for the coaches to know exactly where this team is. Uh, I know they started teaching them. They started working with them on concepts of all kinds of things, you know, last winter. And I think the coaches probably thought this team had more uh, ability to understand those concepts and, uh, and put them into play than they did. Uh, and probably uh, maybe they are a, a little more sophisticated than these guys are ready to uh, to be able to pull off, and I think they maybe require a little more game experience, a little more actual, you know, on the field, uh, you know, understanding of everything that's happening, and uh, you do see at times uh, places where you just realize, man, these guys are really, really uh, young, really, really raw, really, really without experience, and what we don't have an answer for is you watched them in the in the winter, you watched them in the spring, you watched them in the summer, and you saw really, really competitive play out of the defensive backs against what we now know are really a good good set of, of offensive receivers, guys that are really, really, really talented and fast. And they had all they could handle going against these same defensive backs, uh, you know, since the new coaches have been here. Uh, and yet you see them in games and you do not, this is a team that doesn't seem to perform in games like we've seen them perform, uh, 
you know, on the practice field. Uh, and I don't know where the disconnect is, and I don't think the coaches do either. It's uh, it's a puzzler. But uh, uh, I, I, let's see what you know if they if they compensate for that now, and if they start allowing these guys just to play more and not have to be. Uh, you know, worried about uh, disguising the defense and all that. I mean, I, I, that's what uh, uh, Nikhil Roby uh, a couple of weeks ago at Washington State said, you know, the thing that, you know, well, he, he got beat on the one for a touchdown, but then he said I was able to, you know, make him think I was in zone and I jumped the route and I intercepted it and, you know, got the touchdown and all that. Uh, you know, so there are some, you know, pluses to being able to disguise the defense, but it does seem like that might not be the number one thing you'd be wanting them to do at this point in time. Uh, you'd really want them just to be able to play. And a lot of times it doesn't look like they're able to play. And a lot of times the defense looks like it's set up to force people to throw the ball in front and then come up and make the play. Problem is, this is not a team that has the kind of tacklers that can play in space and allow people to catch the ball in front of them and then come up and make the play. Uh, they're not, you know, exactly sure tacklers, and uh, and they still are getting beat deep. You know, so if if you're going to do that, you can't ever get beat deep, which they have, and uh, you really better be able to make the play in space when it happens, and it doesn't look like they can do that. I'm not sure this, you know, group is matched well with exactly what it's being asked to do, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, that's the challenge. Monty was talking the other night about – the kind of defense that takes you a couple of years to get to learn. Well, in the NFL, you know, if you're a rookie and they kind of put you on a path to being a, you know, two-year guy to really understand the defense, that's great. I'm not sure, as Monty was aware of yesterday, they've got four days to get ready for Stanford. They don't <laughs> have two years. So, anyway, long answer, but it's probably the key question uh, of, of the entire year and the entire defense. Uh, as to exactly, you know, what are we doing and what are we asking them to do? All right. Uh, well, we also have some questions on the scheme as well. And I'll, there's a question from E and a question from Perry, both similar. Perry wanted to know if they should change the defensive scheme from a 4-3 Tampa 2 to a scheme that's better suited for a spread offense like the 3-3-5. And E wanted to know about dropping the Tampa 2. Uh, it's a complicated system. It doesn't, the defense doesn't seem to be getting better. Um, so that, I mean, that's what their kind of thoughts were. And I talked to Joe Barry last week about this a little bit. And he said, you know, we don't just run the Tampa two. I think that's what Monty Kiffin's known for, but we have blitzes. We have man under thing. They do other things besides the Tampa two, but I guess what maybe they want to call more of those other things. Cause it seems like a lot of the time, Dan, they are playing, that soft zone and they're trying to let things happen in front of them, but they're not able to, to stop those things. Well, yeah. And, and I think for example, uh, you know, they have the defensive front, for example, seems to be doing a lot of tech technique three, uh, where you don't see anybody that it looks like they're being set up to make a play. For example, uh, you see, it just looks like there's a lot of reading, and reacting, uh, and and we don't see you know blitz packages that looks like they're you know that look like they're really designed to getting people uh, you know to the quarterback. Uh, we saw, for example, Jake Locker, uh, and I know they weren't very happy with how they played in the first half, but in the first half at least, occasionally you saw Jake Locker throwing under some pressure, and he threw the ball away. I guess we're lucky that you know. That happened, but that's that was always the case with Jake Locker, is if you had somebody in his face and kind of forced him, he's so big and strong and so athletic, he tends to sail the ball. He just tends to turn it loose. And and, and yet much of the game, it looked like, uh, you know, especially on that, uh, you know, bootleg rollout, he's out there and there doesn't seem to be anybody even – designed to uh you know to be in his place to put a uh, you know put any pressure on him i don't understand that uh allowing him to kind of have the ability to just decide whether i want to run it or i want to throw it and not forcing him to uh to do anything it, it, it when you talk about soft it looks like they didn't go after in, a, in an aggressive way they didn't look like they were trying to take things away from people 
but mostly just react and be safe on the big play of the game when Locker, you know, on the fourth down play on the last drive, they drop eight guys back. And, you know, Locker still, you know, so there's nobody in Locker's face at all. And he has the ability to throw that thing right on the money. And there wasn't anybody in front of the receiver. You know, they were all around him. Uh, but, you know, on that play, you'd probably like to have somebody, uh, you know, between the quarterback and the receiver. And, you know, they they didn't. That's, a lot of that was technique. Uh, you know, you do wonder about about their technique. You do see guys get beat with, uh, you know, who have no idea where the football is because they're running with their backs to the play. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I probably would like to see, you know, if you talk about a, you know, uh, if you go with a, you know, a 50 or a 30, uh, you know, up front where you've got, you know, two guys, that could either be defensive ends or um, and, and a nose, uh, and maybe a, you know like a 52 or, or you know something like that. Uh, they're not getting that much out of their linebackers. You, if you got a chance to you know maybe uh, have two defensive ends that, that have the ability to play both ways, but but could be uh, you know more defensive ends to get more pressure that way. Uh, you know to get the defensive ends have. Without Wes Horton, we really haven't seen, uh, you know, defensive ends that, that have the ability to uh, seem like they have the ability to to get involved. Now we've got Nick Perry with the, you know, the ankle and uh, Armand Armistead. He just sometimes looks like he's really involved and sometimes he doesn't. Uh, he's got that uh, shoulder, you know, mild shoulder sprain uh, that's been painful. But uh, you would like to see the front. Uh, involved in ways in which uh, you know they haven't really been, and I don't know, I don't have a good explanation because they were so uh, active and so involved in the spring, for example, and so able to run run to the plays and things like that. Now you see them, you don't see the same kind of takeoff that you saw in the spring. You don't see the same kind of guy, you know ability to run with the uh, run with the plays and run to the football. And, and you don't have a good answer yourself, and you don't get a good answer, uh, which tells me the coaches don't seem to know. I mean, it was, the Hawaii game was kind of interesting. After the game, you know, the first person I think I talked to was Coach Orgeron, and he was just almost dumbfounded that they didn't answer the bell, that, you know, the, the you know now we're playing games that count, and all of a sudden, you know, his defensive linemen weren't playing. And I don't know if that's, you know, now they, they're being asked to do things in ways in which they weren't used to doing them, and they're a, a being asked to think about things in way ways they weren't asked to think about them. And whether it's just the fact that they don't have enough experience and now they're being asked to have responsibilities, and it doesn't matter what those responsibilities are. I mean, it might not be the scheme. It might just be this is a team that, uh, maybe last year they weren't prepared for this kind of thing, and this year they're they're not there yet, and maybe they they haven't figured out a way to get them to that place. I don't know. You wish you could see them just play more, and be physical, and use their, you know all the ability they've got, and maybe not be as as concerned about all the kinds of responsibilities that you you know you would be uh, you know in an NFL scheme defense. Uh, yeah, let them loose. But, you know, like. Let these guys. I, 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 I don't think we have any better answer than the coaches. That's that might be the problem. <laughs> yesterday, I didn't get a sense that there was an answer, other than let's hope we get better. <clears throat> so I know that's probably the biggest frustration for a lot of you know fans and and even for us is you want to solve when you see something like that when you see them give up 537 yards against uh, a team like Washington, which is clearly not even a top, you know, probably not top seven in the Pac-10, you think, good Lord, you know, 537 yards. Uh, something has to be able to be done that's better than this. Uh, so we'll see. This is, uh, man, if, if there ever was a week where we're going to see if they, uh, if they have, you know, some answers, uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, JC had a question kind of along those lines regarding Steve Sarkeesian and Nick Holt. He said they had our players for two to three years and were more used to Carroll and Lane Kiffin schemes than other coaches after being at USC together. They know these players inside and out, and they had two weeks to prepare. 
I personally don't think UW or Jake Locker will have a game like that the rest of the season. What do you think? Is that a big? Is that as big of an impact, or is it minimal? It's kind of an explanation to why Washington had so much success. Well, you know, had <clears throat> had had Jake Locker had someone responsible for Jake Locker, if Jake Locker had more pressure. Um, uh, you know, I don't know that he'd had that kind of a game, but you know, I mean, and they can probably think, okay, if we do this, USC won't be able to. Uh, uh, you know, to, to really put a lot of pressure on Jake Locker. It didn't look to me, though, that Jake Locker was doing that much different from what Jake Locker normally does or from what they wanted to do with Jake Locker. It just looked like Jake Locker had a lot more uh, opportunity to do it without anybody, uh, you know, in his face, without anybody checking him, without anybody, uh, you know, bothering him and putting pressure on him. But, I mean, I, I don't know that any of us were surprised with, with what Washington did with Jake Locker. Uh, I mean, I thought that's what Washington would always want to do with Jake Locker. And it just looked like it was almost like a surprise that Jake Locker was, you know, doing what he was doing, that they were, you know, rolling him out into space and, and trying to give him some time, uh, you know, to, uh, to run it or pass it. And uh, it surprised me that they didn't seem to, you know, figure out a way to get some kind of, uh, you know, blitz package going or some kind of, you know, surprise element that uh, even when they do run them and they talked about, they you know, that they've been running them more, it's not obvious that they're running them more because they really have so little impact. I mean, we looked at the, uh, you know, the linebackers totals, for example, and, uh, you know, between them, uh, you know, they have uh, uh, no sacks, one fumble recovery, no fumbles forced. This is all three starting linebackers who are playing almost every minute of every game. Uh, Akeem Ayers at uh, uh, UCLA by himself has six and a half tackles for losses. The three USC starting linebackers have six. You know, so they've really been uh, they've 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 defended a total of one pass between the three of them. Uh, no interceptions. Uh, it's uh, the, the inability of USC to get the linebackers involved is, uh, is, is, is a stunning – I mean, the numbers are beyond belief. And the inability of them to figure out a way to get any impact at all in five games from three starting linebackers, uh, it's almost inexplicable. I mean, how can you play as much as those guys? You would think the ball would hit you by accident if you would defend the pass. <laughs> They've got one pass defended in in between them. That's 15 uh, starts. Uh, one pass defended, no sacks. I think probably I mean, the ball probably bounced off the referee more than that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, absolutely, without a doubt. You know, well, in the Pac-10, that's for sure. I mean, uh, they'd be in the way. But uh, uh, yeah, I, so there's. I mean, you know, we, we see the, you know, maybe a, a, a secondary guy defending, you know, trailing a play or something like that. But and then we wonder about, you know, the, the you know, the front four who looked so good. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. They really looked good in the spring. I mean, really looked good. And the, you know, a guy like Ed Orgeron. I mean, you know, he. He took a kid to Tennessee last year and made him a you know a big time uh, you know first round draft pick you know and it's not like these guys you know I mean they they really competed uh, with this staff uh, uh, you know at Tennessee last year they had two first round draft picks on defense uh, for a team that really wasn't you know as good as as this USC team in terms of you know potential and you know uh, high school you know products and all that kind of stuff and so you know when they start talking to you about, you know, the USC kids and comparing them to the Tennessee kid that was, you know, first-round draft pick last year, you think, you know, they're seeing what we're seeing. And then it all went away. I mean, it's stunning. I, I, I can't even – I don't even – I've never seen anything like it, to tell you the truth, the disconnect between how – I mean, they broke – this is a team that's broken uh, close to 300 weightlifting records, you know. I mean, they've done everything you thought they needed to do to be ready to play – and they get to the season, and it's just not there uh, on defense. And you totally, 
don't know what what to think, and you look at the coaches, and I'm not sure they know what to think. I mean, I think they're almost as, you know, experience is one issue, but otherwise nobody right now seems to have a really good answer. I mean, the 537 yards by Washington is just so stunning. I mean, you know, the uh, Hawaii game to start the season was kind of a weird blip because it's Hawaii and where the game's played and how they play it with the run and shoot and all that. But the the, the Washington game is absolutely inexplicable. Uh, I, you don't know what to say. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's we talked a lot about the defense in the podcast. We'll switch gears a little bit um, on the kicking game. We got a question from Steve in San Diego. He wanted to know why Kiffin hasn't used Harfman on long field goals, basically anything over 25 yards. That's kind of harsh, but because uh, he seems to have a powerful leg for kickoffs. And a couple things here, Dan. One, he hasn't got the, the touchbacks like we've seen before. And two, just to be fair to Joe Houston, he's a different kicker now. Like he has the leg to make those kicks. And it's just not been, you know, he's two of six. He hasn't been all that accurate. I think when Joe Houston first came in the program, he definitely was anything inside of, you know, outside of 40 yards, I think would have been an issue. He's got the leg now. So he's done something to, to increase that, the distance, you know, we just have to, you know, the, the accuracy I think is the big problem there, but they did give Jake Harfman a chance yesterday at practice. Maybe you want to talk about all that, Dan. Yeah. I, I mean, I, okay. The, one of the problems with, if you have the same guy, uh, as your, um, as your kickoff man, as your punter, and as your your long field goal kicker, especially, uh, it really it's a difficulty. And I I remember you know whenever you would see a team that had that situation, if you're if you've got the ball say on the opponent's other side of the fifty, and you're driving, you have there is kind of an issue because say you've got the ball on the thirty five or something like that, uh, forty. And let's say you're third and five, and well, if you lose, let's say you you know you 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 get a penalty, you have a loss on that play, then you've probably got to punt it. You probably got to pooch punt it. But if you get three yards, let's say, then you're going to kick a field goal. Well, now the kid is holding two shoes. He's standing there with literally two shoes to decide: do I put the you know the field goal kicking shoe on, or do I put the punting shoe on? And it can be kind of a problem psychologically, and am I thinking field goal or am I thinking punt? That's been one of the negatives about having the same kid as your punter, because that's unusual that Hoffman is the punter, the, the field goal, I mean the uh, kickoff guy, and then if he's your long uh, uh, field goal kicker or your, your kicker, period. So I think they were, obviously Joe Houston came back much stronger. Uh, the whole, you know, new approach to weightlifting and the new approach to, you know, strength and all that really worked with him. And he probably added, you know, five to eight yards where you were thinking out to 48, maybe even you had a pretty decent shot with Joe. And I think everybody, he's such a great kid and he works so hard and he he cares about it so much. And he earned a scholarship this year for the first time. And I think people were just thrilled to death, you know, that, He's added, you know, the length because he was a pretty, you know, pretty accurate kicker. Uh, and so when he added that length, it just it gave them a chance to say they didn't have to think about Harfman for all three phases of the game. Uh, you mentioned about he's not kicking the ball in the end zone. I do think that's by design. I really believe that they have been with very quietly doing more directional kicking, kicking the ball deep. Uh, into the corner, but not all the way deep, where they, you know, force you to return it and, you know, try to hold you. And, and it's worked, you know, some games they've done it really well where, they, you know, they don't, you know, make it obvious that they're doing it. But they try to kick it inside the five, but, you know, toward uh, toward the corner, and they try to force your, you know, less uh, talented uh return man, you know, to bring it out. And, and I think they're obviously hoping that they can shake the ball loose. Uh, uh, but I do think that has been the theory. I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's uh, just, you know, not kicking the ball as deep. I think they, they've been wanting him to do that. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't think there's any, you know, issue with his, his leg. Uh, I mean, cause he's, I think he's really performed well. I mean, his pooch kicks have been, 
is really, really good. You know, dropping the ball inside the five. They should have gotten one the other night where they let it bounce into the end zone uh, that he could not have kicked it any more perfectly. He's getting great height. You know, they're one of the better, uh, you know, uh, uh, teams in the country limiting people on punt returns. Um, uh, you know, so Harfman has, has absolutely performed really well. I, I, you know, I, I think they're surprised again that, uh, you know, once the bell sounded, Joe hasn't kicked as well as he did in uh, in spring and in practice. And, uh, you know, again, is that just, um, you know, lack of experience? Kids, uh, you know, haven't maybe been able to step up, at, you know, at game time, you know, the way they have. Uh, you know, again, Joe doesn't have a lot of experience as, as the man. Uh, that, you know, may be a symptom of, you know, for the whole program where it's just been harder for them to perform at games than it is at, uh, you know, at practice and, you know, in the off-season work because they had, you know, Joe had a great off-season and, uh, you know, I don't think they thought they were going to be in a situation where they'd be, uh, you know, two for six and looking for, you know, do we have to have a new kicker? I mean, uh, uh, I don't think they were even a thought, you know, that, you know, it was a 40-yarder, but I think it's like, you know, we're, we're fine here and, you know, you watch the kick, and Joe did, you know, said, man, I thought I got it right, and it looks good, and it looks good, and then all of a sudden, bing, it's, uh, it tails off to the right and hits the uprights. I mean, when you watch it from behind, you think, yeah, this is good. And then it wasn't good. And it's just maybe uh, kind of symptomatic of their whole season, the things that you're not expecting uh, uh, just don't pan out the way you think they will. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to one last one, Dan. We're, we're... A little over an hour here, but it's uh, from Kevin. He said, there's lots of turmoil going on right now, but Lane Kiffin, will Lane Kiffin be giving some space and leniency? If USC struggles, how many years do you think Lane Kiffin will get before he's fired or he, leave? Do you th- or he leaves? Do you think he would get at least four years? And Dan, we talked about this before. It has been the craziest offseason in college football history. So, I mean, I think Lane Kiffin's handled it about as well as anyone could. But what do you think about what the, the new administration would be thinking on those lines? Yeah, I think that's so far past, you know, I mean, none of us would have thought USC was going to give up 537 yards to Washington, you know. So, I mean, uh, uh, you're going down on the elevator last, you know, yesterday, last uh, Saturday, and then uh, you have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, to try to take this out to, you know, three years, four years, uh, all of that, I just think, uh, I mean, we don't know, for example, what's going to happen with the NCAAs. Uh, you know, with the appeal to the NCAA, what's going to happen? There's so many places, you know, how's the recruiting going to go? You know, I mean, how is is what they do this year on the field, how's that going to affect the recruiting? You know, it's a different recruiting atmosphere uh, on the in the West Coast. I mean, uh, the, the, the rebirth of Stanford, the rebirth of Oregon, the rebirth of Arizona, for example, And boom, apparently we just lost Dan Weber. I tried to give him a call back, and it said the telephone facility having problems. So maybe with the rain, I don't know. Maybe the, the phones might have went out where Dan lives over in, in Tustin. So we're sorry about that. But I think the basic thing, what he was saying there was, we don't know. Three or four years from now, it's going to be really hard to tell. I mean, this team could have a losing record this year, or they could finish strong and win double-digit games. So I think there's a lot going on there. But I do think that the administration understands that it was the craziest offseason in college football history. They could get some scholarships back, you know, from the appeal. Uh, there could be a lot of things that happen. There, there could be more guys leave. I mean, that that are going to be seniors next year. There could be guys that stay around and they could circle the wagon. So I think there's a lot of ways this could go. And it's really hard to kind of project out. But I think Lane Kiffin will be given some time to kind of put this together because you know, this isn't the job that he accepted when he first came on and stuff. So, but we do appreciate all the questions and I'm sorry we didn't get to a bunch of questions from Justin and Ryan and Matthew and Kevin. We had a bunch of recruiting questions and since there was so much team talk, we weren't going to be able to have Gerard uh, on today. So I'll, I'll try to save those and maybe we can use them next week if we get to talk more recruiting then, or you can resend them in. Uh, we do appreciate all the calls and emails. Again, it's podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address or call us at 206-888-6755. Sorry, we did lose Dan Weber there at the end, but we got a lot of a lot of info from Dan, so a lot of stuff he got to share there. We do appreciate you listening to the podcast on peristylepodcast.com. 
Check it out. Tell your friends that are USC fans who listen to the podcast. It's growing each and every week, and we appreciate that. Thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music